tomato puree. Let me lay you out and pummel those rigid furrows and creases, reconnecting your fractured substance so you might push aside the residue and previous abundance and come forth again in all your kitchen splendor. Hi, and welcome to the ARC Audiobook Club. This month we've read the British author Claire-Louise Bennett's debut novel, Pond. It's hard to pin down and genre-determined, but the book consists of 20 chapters, some only last few sentences and some are longer. But what they depict is a woman who has shed the vanities of academia in order to go and live on the countryside. Here she records the uneventfulness of everyday life, granting the objects precedence and almost making the humans she encounters seem like shadows. Flaked almonds are being treated with a seriousness and so does oven knobs. I think I like this book a lot and to talk about it we got Mekon Holt. Hello. Sarah Omani. Hi. And Oxa Katarskita. Katarskita. Sorry. Hey, yes. it's okay. <laughs> and I'm Shivana Alessandro. So Mekon, early on, in the end of the last podcast, you called this a collection of short stories. But is it really a collection <laughs> of short stories? I mean... I mean, if you if you wanted to publish them individually in something like the New Yorker, you could say so. But it's not really. I think it's definitely a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, why it says in the back of the book, it's a collection of short stories. It's like a provocation that made me kind of lose my way through the first few sections of this book. I'm like, well, why 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 am I reading this like separate stories about very very similar women in cottages? <laughs> <laughs> But what I liked about it is that all the stories are quite sort of strong on their own, and you can read them independently, published in wherever. But together, they sort of make this whole where you slowly realize what's going on and who this narrator is, because I think it is the same narrator throughout the book, right? Yeah. With the exception of the last story, which is in the third person. Yeah. But that could still be the... Yeah, it could be, couldn't it? Yeah. Who's writing this book? Ah. Yeah. So is it after she has read the book that now she is in the third person, like distancing herself from the project, going into the third person maybe? The first time I read it, that's what I thought. But uh, on the second reading, I saw it as a flashback. I read it as a flashback, Mm -hmm. like to her childhood, um, because it seemed like the brothers throwing uh, snails at an apple and it seemed like a very childhood-flavored memory. Mm. Mm. The brother also comes into the brother also is in the another story in another story. I don't remember the name of the story. So the brother brother is the same. It can mean that it's a novel because there are a lot of characters who connect uh, different stories. They're both living and non-living. For example, a bowl or a bike. Mm. It it's repeated in almost each yeah. story. So that's why it could be a novel and not a really collection of short stories. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so like the objects become characters, which is, yeah. which I was, I remember yeah. re- starting this book, I remember thinking that was, seemed very interesting for a while, but eventually I became quite frustrated with yeah, that. Yeah, really. Uh, it's very difficult to articulate why on that one. There's a few different layers to that, I think, but um, maybe we should, we should get to there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, to me, this book was really hard to pin down as anything. Like, is it a novel? Is it short stories? What is it? What is it even about? And what I think I ended up feeling is that it's not it, it's about objects or it's her constant like stream of consciousness as she looks out so she almost makes it into a movie or a lot of images and there's really no yearning like for factual knowledge in the book from her point of view and we're always inside her head but what she does is describe what she sees and like pays 
a certain attentiveness to flaked almonds mm. and morning rituals and the people she sees, but more about what they're doing than who they are or how anyone is feeling, which makes the, the characters in the novel a little bit unsettling somehow. For me, uh, reading this book, it was something entirely new. It's like uh, reading something that I hadn't encountered before and I didn't really know what to do with it or how to describe it or what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. So I'm really not done with this book. I need to read it again probably several times because, yeah, I don't really know what it is, but was it the same experience for you reading yes, it? Yeah, very much. Uh, the first time I read it, I struggled with it. Uh, it took me ages to finish it. And uh, the second time I read it, it was just such a pleasure. Pleasure. It was a very sort of immersive experience, like you become uh, enveloped in her way of seeing the world and processing her mental states. And it was just a real delight. I felt like I had to slow down a lot and I had to pay close attention to the writing in the same way that she was paying attention to um, her surroundings and her own thoughts. And it was... Um, almost a physical pleasure in a way. Not in a great... Can I rephrase that? Can we edit no, that out? No, no, no. <laughs> it was... <laughs> it's as if... I know this sounds terribly uh, romantic and awful to say, but it's as if the, the thing, it all settled in me, like the sediments of mm. her descriptions of the world. I don't know. It made me pay close attention to the writing and it was delightful. Yeah. yeah, but it was as strange. Very strange, yes. Okay, because I thought maybe it was my part, the language barrier, That, but you are way better at English than I am, so it's not that. There no. is something about the text that is just weird. Yeah, the language is a weird sort of... It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she sort of combines very academic, not academic in the way that she uses a lot of words to not say anything, but academic in that she uses multisyllabic words and is quite mm. accurate in her... To her sentences and but also on occasion it. using a lot of words to not say anything yeah but, but not in <laughs> yeah. an academic way more in a like <laughs> everyday but in that way it's also as if she's experimenting um, with the sentences and they don't mm. have to necessarily make any sense it comes as she describes it and mm. then that's the way it is perhaps I think they all do like they make like a technical sense, apart from that one passage where it slips into a kind of like joycey and crazy mental breakdown section in like the last mm -hmm. quarter of the book. But like most of the time it makes sense. It just isn't clear, mm. which is okay. the which is what I think is happening a lot of time. But um But what did you think about her language as a native English speaker? I mean it's very it it is very advanced and it is very it's very well done. And I think I just found I, as a native English speaker, it's like that is what you can do with English. But I just was sort of, I'm just sort of underwhelmed by, I was I found myself underwhelmed by it. But I think that's, again, I don't know if it's the language's fault or like I now tie it to that. It's this, as we're talking about with the objects thing, I, I, I'm always kind of tantalized by this sort of um, object writing that it can be sort of, revealing or incisive about the world that it's describing by paying attention to the little details of things but I also find it can be very kind of self-involved and sort of very centered on the like it's this weird thing of like is she talking about basically how her sense of agency is affected by the things around her or is she bestowing that thing upon all the things around her and it's and 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 she's like kind of like almost like casting out blame in some sort of way or or not blame but like 
yeah, I find it, I find it a deeply frustrating thing after a while. But maybe it's actually I don't like object-ish writing like this. But maybe maybe I should. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. I mean, the, yeah. It's as if she reaches that, uh, what is it called, the linguistic moment where the, her language refers to nothing else but her own language. Um, and the objects become invisible while she is act describing them. Yeah. And, I mean, being able to do that with language, I think it's just, it's wonderfully crafted. It's in, Oh, it's so well crafted. And after a while, like, you start out being very um, impressed, uh, I think, impressed by her ability to structure sentences and <laughs> um but once i feel like once you get into it you it almost becomes like a zen experience <laughs> in some way meditative because you stop sort of mm. i don't know she names things very well and to me i i it sort of painted pictures in my head and i like that yeah. as geo said i also felt like there was something that i haven't really read before or the kind of language maybe the kind of telling of the story and but I also found a lot of connection between the paragraphs or between the stories themselves. It seemed like I could follow her thoughts. It, it seems like she's really trying to write her thoughts down. And I think I listened to one of the podcasts where she was featured in, or it was a podcast about her book. And they mentioned that the language is a bit insane. Not that the main character is insane, but that the language is a bit insane, which I don't agree with because I could feel, I don't know if you could feel the same, but that our thoughts, our own thoughts are also going these directions, these very weird directions, also as the main character's uh, thoughts. For example, she starts, she uh, sees an object and then she connects the object to some memories and then these memories lead to other memories and then these other memories lead to the present moment. And then she again goes to another object, which she sees in front of her. But sometimes it's not only the object. I think I really found it memory-based, her writing and her thinking. There were a lot of memories in the book. But I think maybe I would agree that the language is sort of crazy because you don't remember in those words and you don't necessarily link it um, to these pictures as she does. And I think that was wonderfully made. It was as sometimes everything was a neon um, or in the negative. Yeah. I think I think what happened for me a lot of the time was with these with these pictures is like they kind of they, they stopped at the at the edge of their lines a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like they like they were incredibly vivid, but I felt like they were like they, I think they were gesturing towards things but then like they would just run out at the end of the fingertips. So wouldn't you wouldn't see the thing where the thing was pointing to. And I think that's entirely intentional. But I find it really frustrating. And I know that you were really annoyed with this book. Was but was that because she's sort of like gathering material and describing it, but not analyzing it or doing anything with it? Or well, that she's not doing anything. It's not that she's not doing anything with it, but it doesn't go anywhere. Like I mean, it's I find it I find it I find it quite claustrophobic as a read. Lots of the time, I find it quite this. I felt, and I think there was a very effective uh, communication of. Um, of like you know being in this sort of isolated small cottage life situation, but that was if there were if if it was not meant to be an entirely oppressive experience, I didn't get that because I felt this kind of like I felt there's a sort of desperation in the writing, and I think that I don't know if I felt that it was thoughts that were coming across so much as there was these like 
the way that she keeps using the phrase, I must tell you, this kind of thing, that is this, seems like a weird defense mechanism to me, this weird sort of like, I'm I'm quite fragile in my in my saying this thing, so I must tell you this because there is something that compels me that is not myself that tells mm. you this. It is, a, it is a fact of the world that you must be told this by me. And that is like this, this thing you often hear from people who have this kind of like fragility about what they're expressing. And that recurring theme through the entire thing made me feel really like she was very sad. Mm. And like she was always just pointing to other things so no one would look at her. And... And that's very well done, but I found the reading of that very oppressive. <laughs> yeah, it's fun because to me that was also, I felt a little violated as the reader in this, like calling upon the reader, this repeating apostrophe of naming the reader, you, I'm talking to you, do you know this? Um, and you must know this. But the second time I read it, I was very tired and it was almost like being lulled into something, like very manipulative. Yes. I agree with the lull part, not the manipulation part. No? Uh, yeah, but I also, I, I didn't think of the the you, and I must tell you, as the reader as much as I thought of it as herself. I felt like she was talking to herself a lot of the time and as if she was using writing, because she is definitely an ice, well, if not isolated, a very solitary character. And it, to me, read like she was writing to herself as if to make her experiences clear to herself in lieu of a, a person to look at and and say, this is how I've... Mm-hmm. what I've been up to mm-hmm. and to have in a way to sort of um, provide herself with a reflection of her own life mm-hmm. um, which she also mentions in the she's talking about the the non-dystopian uh, apocalypse novel mm-hmm. she read um, and she specifically mentions the passage where the, the woman in the novel uh, sees herself in the mirror for the first time in a long time and she finds it difficult to to decipher the image of herself and to me, it seemed like that was what the character in this novel was doing in her writing. Mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel, feel addressed as a reader. I felt no. like I was spying on someone's notebook. But the second she makes this into a book and it has a cover and it has a title and a name and her author, then I do feel titulated as the reader. Yeah. Yeah, to come back to mm. this, uh, I must tell you, I think Claire Louise Bennett, she uses language in such exciting way, in such mm. an impressive way that... The reader, like as you make it, you mm. could feel that the main person was solitary, and she was how how the how the main person mm. might feel, might might have felt at the moment of the telling of the story. So I think the language in this book, I'm coming back to language again, is so exciting. Yeah, I think there's yeah there's a lot to be said for its for its writing, but the thing is like I think once once I once I added this to my other frustration about this. This strain, like, this like it reminds me of what I don't like about Carlo Canal score. That it's this kind of um, oh beef. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, like I don't, I don't, I don't dislike the entirety of Carlo Canal score. But like, I mean, there's bits. The bits of it I don't like are this kind of. There's this. It's like an insistence of the importance of being able to label things accurately. And and I think that there's a there's a part and that once I have that in place, then the language becomes this kind of weird tr- like manipulative trick to me in some way that becomes this 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 tool that is so crafted and so like so focused on its kind of kind of internal referencing thing, which I just I, I find quite a frightening. I almost like, as you, we talked about this before before the thing like this kind of ideological problem of the book in some ways 
Yeah. But you had read an interview where she had said, the author Claire Louise, Louise Bennett, that she was, had been reading a lot of phenomenology. Yeah. Because some of the description reminds me a lot about the beginning of uh, Malou Ponty, yeah. uh, the phenomenology of the body, of yeah, how she described things. And I can mm. see that how she would get to there by mm. this. Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. I think that's also like what I think is also a bit frustrating about some versions of phenomenology is that it, can sort of retreat into um, the sensations of the world. Like there's a few moments where there's a kind of external thing where she starts, you know, writing to um, or try to find the um, the manufacturer of the of the knobs for her oven in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And there's moments when she's kind of like breaking out of that. But then it's always like, I, I don't, when she says South Africa, I don't think she's meaning the country South Africa. I think she's meaning the page South Africa in the atlas. Mm-hmm. That kind of feeling to but it. But that actually reminded me a lot about Kathy Acker and Great Expectations yeah. when she starts reading, le- writing letters to these specific persons and begging them for stuff mm. and commanding them. And this entire passage um, mm. from that, mm. it's called Control Knots. Yeah, 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 I think so. yeah, 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 yeah. Reminded yeah. me so much of Kathy Acker's Great <laughs> Expectations. There was mm. another place about emails. Didn't, you, didn't it remind you of Kathy Acker and... Uh, and this uh, book of emails. What is it called? Oh, I'm very into you. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. And she, oh, not so much to me because the emails, and I'm very into you. You actually get to read the emails, but here she yeah, just describes Yeah, but them. she just mentions, I think it was 2,000 emails she mentions that she has written to her crush. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that her lover the that really uh, reminded for me the first and last time describing sex and what she wants. Yeah, using language in that way, mm-hmm. in a very weird way, in the way that you in a new have way never used. I would yeah. love getting sex right from. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that must be two thousand so, emails. Yeah, that must be so specific and strangely unsettling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I really I, wonder I, how her language is like when she describes her. But I think um, I could do it. Yeah. I, I would be up for it. <laughs> but most of the time I didn't know whether to take her language her use of language seriously or not because she seems very sarcastic and dry at times um, and other times quite serious it's like she sort of uh, juxtaposes this academic use of language and academic descriptions with the mundane and and that's the thing because this calling upon the reader and emphasizing the seriousness of morning rituals and stuff and then to the next uh Chapter, she is like singing this ode to tomato puree, right? <laughs> In this very serious language that is hard for non-native speakers, at least me, to really follow. I had to look up a lot of words. As a non-native speaker, I found it very ironic at times. Yeah. And then a lot of words I really didn't know, uh, maybe not a meaning of, maybe I just didn't know the right meaning of, because some of them have different meanings, like, and also in the context. But what I also found, especially uh, in the morning, noon and night of that short story, it was very funny to find, in fact, repeated like in every other sentence or in every sentence. And then she says um, that a banana looks good with something, in fact. And then uh, there is this, by the way, which is also repeated like alongside. She uses a lot of those expressions. I, I wrote down a whole list. Yeah. Actually, in fact, by the way, indeed, as a matter of fact, you see, if you must know, I must say, I'm afraid. Which usually I would say makes weakens the text, but it kind of works here. Yeah. yeah. It it doesn't weaken it at all, and that's uh, what I thought was a bit smart. But it was disturbing. (laughs) It was disturbing, this use of language. It was very disturbing, yeah. But yeah, but also, I mean, mean, as as a native speaker, I was also kind of like going, this is a bit smug. 
but I that's like also it. but I mean yeah <laughs> it feels like an academic girl she tries to live the solitary life of Walden uh, you know of Toro and then she goes out and lives in this tiny cottage and she still can't get yeah. rid of her, yeah. her academic language and her use of language as I felt I don't know mm. if the language is academic I have no idea Actually, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't mean I don't mean academic in the in the sense that no. it's um yeah technical but, but technical but, yeah. it, but in the way she applies mm. yeah mm. She, she's hedging her bets with her sentences a lot of the time mm. like I must say this is not me saying it, it's the compelled the expressions the list of expressions that she uses uh, all the time was one of the contributing factors to why I thought she was an, an older maybe retired woman the first time I read it I mm. was uh, I, yeah I, I spent a long time on the first read uh, trying to decide whether she was old young middle-aged um, and she could be, and we, I mean, we only mm. know that she threw out her doctoral thesis, yeah, right? Exactly. But we don't know when. Mm. Mm. So she could be, eight. Yeah. she probably is in her like early thirties, yeah. but she could have any age. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, she is, she is still struggling with her, with finding her place and uh, finding her vocation. But mm. it might be like she's fifty or sixty. But I have never thought, I, I haven't really thought about that while I was reading. Oh, that took me ages. Yeah. That was like a wow. huge uh, problem for me in wow. the first reading. Yeah. She's like, she's like 30 something, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and you called her a sad woman. Uh, yeah, you were in the not, 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 not Bennett. No, but, <laughs> but the narrator. Yeah, because she seems incredibly sad. She seems like she's, she seems like, she is the kind of upset where you again are trying to point at everything else around you in order to make sure that no one looks at you, mm-hmm. and because because that you're you're hurt in some in some way, and or you are confused or some some kind of beaten down situation. But yeah, I think this is yeah we we yeah. But we, couldn't that also be the symptom of suddenly she's? We only know that she lives in the westernmost part of Europe next to the Atlantic Ocean. Of suddenly I am. like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. she never says that, no, does she? No. Um, oh, yeah. Well, she says that there are Irish-speaking Irish. Thatchers and everyone yeah. else understands it. Okay, yeah. still, <laughs> just say it could be Portugal. There's Irish people in Portugal. There are settlements there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the only thing we know, that she's just blown away by these things. And we know that she had a meltdown, sort of, when she lived in the city and then she went to live in the countryside to discover, like, who she is, get a feeling of her eye, herself. Her personhood. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see her her description of objects as a way of uh, diverting attention from herself. I saw that as a way of sort of filling in the negative space between her and the external world, like trying to mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. outline herself by s- trying to figure out where the how she relates to the rest of the world. Um, yeah, I think she's also lost in a way, and she doesn't know what to do. And her looking at things, it really feels like it really felt like meditation in a way. She's trying to uh, really feel how her surroundings are and and what she has to see and what she sees. But what I really like, she's insecure, as mm. Megan you say. But I also feel, or I also could understand that she was pretty angry all of the time. And there are a lot of places where she gets really angry and she wants to smack somebody in the head or she wants this professor-like figure to, uh, well, how do you say? fall down and and mm. break his head and and then she's angry on cats and then she's angry because other people 
don't have the same relationship to the past as she has and all the other things. So she's very angry throughout the... Yeah, and the, it's fun uh, because the most of the uh, emotions she has that she describes, I think, is anger, but it's so spread out um, that to me it felt sort of creepy because it was like the emotions were always there, but they were like underlying underneath the text. Um, and it wasn't so vivid, but you could feel that there was something going on. Maybe this is, I'm Which, starting to become worried because I think maybe this is why I like the book but, so much. I can relate to that. In a, yeah, and in a sense, it was like reading a Prozac because the emotions would like pop up really shortly and then onto something else, right? Um, she would like sit and do something and describe something. And then she's like, yeah, burn you little fucker. Mm. I think to a cat. Mm. Um and then onto something else, and you're like, "Whoa, whoa this <laughs> is dark." Happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in that way, it's kind of reminiscent of something like Tao Lin, in some way. Not in the not like the technical use of language, but like the focus on um, on things around you to fill in your negative space. The focus on your flaxseed oil. The focus on your. Mm-hmm. On your, on your, um, but then the way to optimize yourself, yeah, more no. as taking away from yourself, or like, yeah, yeah shifting perspective, right? Because yeah. Taolin is always like optimizing himself, or his characters at least are, mm. oh, um, at least like not degrading themselves, yeah, like that's the attempt, yeah. And she yeah. doesn't really worry about that, no, she didn't seem terribly angry to me, like, she's, no, she seemed very calm, like, even in her, maybe it's because she relays her frustrations so calmly, but I, I didn't. But it's also, in a, it was unsettling to me how when we hear about her emotions, she's usually angry. And it just, it pops up and then it stops again. And then at one point, there's this uh, story where she realizes that she has been drunk for a long time. And that's why she couldn't have any epiphanies. But now she has it because apparently she's been sober and she's lived on the country for a while. And I mean, that story to me is really boring. <laughs> but the way she describes it is fun. And she sort of like takes out her feelings one by one and like examines them in a stretch arm and looks at it and then puts it down and then takes another one, looks at it, puts it down, like separates it. And that was, that might be really efficient, but it also seemed really creepy. I think that's what I mean like when analytical. I say analytical. Yeah, it's yeah. very analytical and mm. it's very sort of, it's it's sort of a, a weird objective attempt at looking at subjective emotional and mm-hmm. states, yeah. Um, which is just, I think that's what I mean by academic and mm. I find it to be very fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it was. But I think that's also where like the like where I think we're reading the anger into it is because it's like if you're thinking that kind of way, you'll often like defer anger through analysis, like through like stuff that you can then like lay out as categories. Mm. Like because you can control it, you feel like you can control the feeling. Mm. That kind of thing. So you're just like so you're deferring oh, yeah. feeling the feeling. Yeah. And then eventually it bursts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's so interesting because we know so little about her, but at least I am really eager to find out who is telling the stories. Yeah, Me so too. I start reading everything into it and like trying to mm. decipher who this person is. Yeah. And it's, we, we just don't know enough. But we learn so much about her but when she speaks, as though she doesn't really say what, how she feels, but we learn so much. We about learn a lot about feels. how her mind yeah. works. We don't learn so much about her life by normal categories, mm. like categories we're used to. Yeah, and despite her always... Um, Talking to the reader, it's as if she doesn't really give a shit about the reader at mm. the same time. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if there's anything interesting to say about the the book within a book, and how that plays out when she reads the the, the science mm-hmm. fiction dystopia book. Yeah. Is that book? You book? know yeah. which book? What book it is? 
I found um, there was a re- I think a reviewer who found out the book yeah, because but I haven't read it myself. I've read the book like a lot of years ago, and then I started reading that short story, and I was like, "Oh, what's happening?" Because I can remember reading the book. That's so cool. Yeah. So, but then I think it, it's uh, should I should I tell what the book yeah, is, yeah, or should yeah, I yeah. just leave it like this? Ah, spoilers are all throughout. Okay. This thing. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so the book is I've also written it down. Uh, by Haushofer, Marlene Haushofer. I think she's Austrian and it's called The Wall. And it really is about a lady who suddenly finds herself totally alone because there, there, there is a invisible wall which appeared when her friends left to some kind of dinner. And then she's totally alone in this. Is I don't really remember. And she's totally alone in a house uh, in the mountains. Mm. And then she has to make her own living out of mm. it. Yeah, and this woman identifies with that story, yeah, what, right? Yeah. What do we talk about? But there's also the pond within the pond. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because the second time I read it, I just, I hated this book. <laughs> I, I wanted to burn it. Um, but I liked it the first and the third time. And I had to read it so many times because of the language. I just, I had to, yeah, I wasn't really sure. Uh, so I just had to keep on reading it. But... Um, in one of the, I think it's one of the first stories, there's this pond and she's really outraged that anyone would put up a sign saying pond next to a pond. And because a pond is just a pond. And I mean, come on. I felt a little bit like this book. It was like an allegory of reading the whole disappointment. (laughs) You see something called pond and like, yeah. (laughs) She's also in a way contradicting herself when she names a lot of things by their names. And then she gets very angry because pond is named pond. Like mm-hmm. somebody put the sign of a pond yeah. next to the pond. But and it would take away from the experience of seeing the yeah, pond. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But she, she names so many things herself yeah. and then she describes so many things herself. So it's, I, I find mm-hmm. it as a contradiction. But, but the book, do you think the book is funny in any way? I thought it was so funny. There were so many passages where I just started laughing, like uncontrolled. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was also reading in the public and then just burst <laughs> to laughing in several places, yeah. I mean, it was both funny, not not like it's a comedy, but also there are definitely funny funny passages but and there are dark passages and there are calm passages. And it's and the way they oscillate and she yeah. switched between them. Mm. I mean, she's really snappy and she, she's so she's snappy. Yeah. yeah. And every time I read it, it gets better. I, as you say, I want to read it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the second time I was reading it, uh, I was just taking one page at the time a random page and then it made so much more sense or oh, it made sense the other ways <laughs> than when i read it the first time can we talk about how the language sort of well the sentence structures degenerate as the book continues towards, i didn't notice that towards the end she starts doing longer sentences all sort of nonsensical sentences like the brazoom thing we were talking about <laughs> That yep. happens towards the end. Yeah. So you think that that this goes on throughout the? I, I didn't notice uh, that, but I didn't notice that. I didn't either. notice that. I just noticed that every <coughs> short story or some short stories have a very different language and very different language use. But I didn't notice that there was. I like don't think a it was. I, I I don't mean that it was a slow process. I mean it happened towards the end. Mm. Um, but no. But what do you what do you what do you what do you think is going on there? Then? I I don't know what's going on. I I would I'd like to hear what you guys think. It's just no. I just um. I'm, I was thinking that maybe sort of she starts out. My theory was that she's sort of trying to reflect her own thoughts towards herself, and then 
as it goes on, she becomes more and more. At, at, at one stage, she said she's become disassociated from the world around her, and Christmas can only be a, a success for people if they're in a in a sort of firmer relationship with reality than she is. And it seems to me like she's becoming disconnected from the world, even though she's trying to um, get a firmer grip on it. But it seems there are two different worlds, right? There is society, and then there is her hermite um, life, and that she is totally disassociating from rituals like Christmas and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, societal sort of. But, yeah, into her own bubble. Yeah. And but I hadn't noticed if that like happened more and more or it escalated. Now I'm to becoming me, unsure of my reading. Of no, but to me it was just very consistent. But I, yeah, I didn't notice it. But maybe, probably. But you require is reading the book again and again, I think. <laughs> but again, and I really want to read it again. Yeah, but again with the contradictions, right? At one point she says, all the names means nothing to you and your name means nothing to them, which is also funny because she keeps on listing stuff and naming stuff. Yeah. And yeah. But yeah, so yeah. there is a lot of that, but it's just, it's a very enjoyable and such a weird book. But this is also like the other side of like the other half of what she was saying with her like interest in phenomenology was like it gave her a chance to reject semiotics and and signification as a thing. So she's also toying with this thing that names are meaningless. Mm-hmm. But she has this weird dynamic, I think, at play where she's like, um, I guess the narrator, who am I talking about? Anyway, someone, someone to do with this book is at once kind of, casting off the power of words but also like relying entirely on that power but trying not to deal with the consequences that power has um and and it's just i'm just wondering whether or not whether or not that particular dynamic is is deliberate i guess it is if the name if the, but that passage of the names but i'm just there's a lot of i feel there's like a sort of kind of having your cake and eating it sort of motion there but even if it's deliberate or not, it's just really interesting. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah but I mean, but then I'm just like, but then, but then I don't know if it is interesting if it's not deliberate because then it could just be like taking you two steps down that road, mm-hmm. and then like you just fall off a cliff. Then and that's your critique of the book, right? She never follows through or what she like sets out to do or what she could do with well, it. Well, like yeah, more could. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's. I don't. I think she's doing exactly what she set out to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's clear. And it's just like, I find that that is not what I would want. But that's my problem, isn't it? But I also know you're very skeptical towards British authors. Yes. <laughs> but why is that? I find it difficult to read them without reading smugness into it. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's like, I, I feel like there's a, I feel there's such an audience in mind for this book, even though it seems to be claiming that that's not the case. Mm. Like, I feel like there's such a vogue furrow this fits within that I'm that I, I just don't know what it, it doesn't do anything else for me in that way mm. um, but um that that it could entirely be my problem yeah probably but <laughs> yeah, did, I did, hear it. did you did you mean that this book was written with a thought that it could get popular that it could get acknowledged no or not not in that way no not like not like in a kind of like crass way like that but more like that there is like there is a movement in writing that supports this kind of work. That there is a there is a maybe not financially or anything famous like that kind of thing, but like there's a you can you I feel that like I felt like almost like the opposite. I feel like I could definitely feel the tradition that this was operating within. Well, because it couldn't really grasp a tradition. It was so new for me, this yeah. reading experience. I mean it's like a it's like a kind of it's a kind of borderline art writing thing, but I think it's just 
I think, and it has the, it seems so steeped in modernism and modernist ideas that it's, almost seems like both it's kind of new and old in a weird way um yeah i agree with the new and old thing and it both mm. seemed quite old-fashioned to me and and also very much not <laughs> um she seemed kind of romantic the the narrator yes very yeah i was i, I thought of like the pre-raphaelites and you know the details in their paintings and stuff mm -hmm. and it just at the same time it seemed very modern i don't know i i like no. the contradictions yeah. and i just I like everything about it I was thinking about romantic. I can't really think of any passage that would really seem romantic to me. But do you have any? I, I mean, sort of the, the connection with nature and Thoreau and um, mm. yeah. person alone and contemplating the vastness of the universe and the the, the smallness of things <clears throat> and everything is connected. And and that just uh, sounds like such a boring motive, but I think she carries yeah. it quite well yeah. with her language. To me, that was what mm. saved it. From not just being a boring doubler. <laughs> I think she she has all these questions we all get at some point. Like, who are we and why are we here? <laughs> of course, it's a bit cliche, but we all always have these questions. Or every one of us. Can... Nope. No. <laughs> can't really say that always and <laughs> everyone. What did you can't say? really say that. <laughs> I can't say uh, that. I think maybe that's my actual problem with it is like what you've just said. It's that what's like that because there's But it creates these questions, right? No, not the, the question but, not the, but I mean like more like that that it's the craft that saves it and the craft is definitely there. Like like yeah. she's an incredible writer. Yeah. Um I just don't have any interest in the subjects. Mm. Well but what is the subject? That, I mean yeah, that's, that's a very really difficult quite, question. It's, what is it's the somewhat subject? difficult to say, but it seems to be this this sort of exploration of if you if you try and connect to your surroundings in a way you can transcend the pettinesses of 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 self-loathing or or, or problem or those kind of into all your your mission in life can be somehow overcome by real close attention to what is around you and and uh, that's what I thought it was but maybe again wrong but we're not all about the male gaze by now could this be the female gaze? Yes. I think it could. I mean, it's very in opposition to the male gaze um, in a way that there are no bodies. We don't know anything about mm. these people. We know about these insignificant objects and we are inside her head all the time. Yeah, um, yes, thinking about it, yes. I agree. It could be a, a version of the female gaze, and we would, you and I were talk, talking earlier about um, Lydia Davis, and I said I didn't see how this someone had compared it to Lydia Davis, and I said I didn't understand it. And you had some very good points, and saying this makes me realize that Lydia Davis also is an, another version of the female gaze, but hers is very much not centered on men, but men are very much present in Lydia Davis's work, mm -hmm. and men are also present in this work but the whole like the whole story doesn't center on them like they they appear now and then yeah but not as anything particularly significant mm. just as another object in a world yeah. of objects mm. um so yeah there was one paragraph about men or about something else i couldn't really figure it out and then these two sentences i'll just read them out in the mornings i did other things and in the evenings perhaps i sat with a man and drank and got close to him or didn't, and become discomposed. On it goes. 
Essentially, I cannot identify and fix upon a relatable purpose for them. What purpose and for whom? Is it the men, the purpose of men or the purpose of evenings? <laughs> so, my first thought was that she's asking, what is the purpose of men? What is the purpose of women? Is this, the, men? Is this a story with the wine? <clears throat> yeah, this is the story about her being drunk and having relationships. Yeah, and that yeah. she realizes that she's actually drunk all the time when she's having all these mm. nice experiences with the relationships. And then she does sometimes seem drunk. And she does describe like drinking a bottle of Kamang and stuff. And I think it was on page 61 that she says, no, there are times when men and women don't belong inside rooms. We'd be better off silently overlapping each other next to a river or beneath the clouds or among the long grass, somewhere, anywhere where something is moving. Isn't that right? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so that's two pages before where she says, what's the purpose? <laughs> what's the purpose for what? And then she yeah. finds it. <laughs> yeah. And the question was about female gaze. Yeah. And if that could be defined, and if so, if this would be any of it. It is there, a female. It is a, a female yeah. gaze. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't argue with that. But like, a female's gaze can be the male gaze. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. But it seems cleansed of that, right? Yeah. It seems as if there is nothing yeah. really internal. But I don't think that makes it the female gaze. No. I think that, I think as you're saying, like, I don't think the female gaze, gaze is characterized by a lack of bodies. Mm. I think... Because this is again, this is this is more like object-oriented ontology, mm -hmm. where everything is a thing, and that changes who you are. Like th things in the world have agency, which affects your ability to have agency. Mm -hmm. So that it's more like that, but it's not that. But it's more, it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's more similar to something which is focused on objects than it is anything to do with gender. Mm -hmm. What would a female gaze be then? I have no idea. I mean, there's certain characteristics you can point to with a male gaze. It's going to be something to do with like the categorization of things and the um, assigning certain things as goals. And usually that is structured within a kind of like patriarchal setting. So yeah. usually like the goal is sex. Um, so what is the female gaze if that's mm. a definition of the male and gaze? And it doesn't have to be the negation. But yeah. yeah, I don't know what it would be. Yeah. If it is the negation, I think this is a good contender because she, she definitely, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she even states, um, I'm in something like, I'm in mm. a constant state of mm. immaturity uh, defined by a, a ceaseless lack of ambition. Mm. But um, does she does she ever describe herself as a female? Any place in the book? Because she talks about dresses, she talks about a dress hanging somewhere. Yeah, she I was talks thinking about, about that too earlier, if we mm. could even gender determine this book. And we yeah. sort of can as it's, It's female-ish. Mm. The objects that she owns are like and, bras and dresses. And the way and she, uh, when she walks alone, <coughs> morning 1908, when she yeah. walks alone uh, in the fields later, well, in yeah. the evening, and mm. she sees a, a young man coming towards her, first mm. thought is, he might rape me. Mm. Like, that's, a, that's quite female, I'd say. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. At so least she is female. I mean, we can say she is female. Or maybe it feels yeah. like yeah. a female. Because I really, <laughs> I really thought about then. her as a female, but I just got this question, if we really know that she is a female. It's never stated outright, no. but it's, very, it's, it's like 99% sure. Mm. Yeah. That's the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Would you recommend this book, Sarah? Yes, but not to everyone. I don't know who I'd recommend it yeah. to, but certainly I, I liked it a lot, but I don't think everyone would... You made Enjoy me read it. it, so you have oh, recommended it. Oh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> it went from you to me. And oh, that's true. To, yeah. Uh, I don't think if I would recommend it to a guy, I think it's 
would be a girl if I would recommend it to. I don't know why. I sold it to it a guy is... today. Well done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Was it was it like a, a kind of like slightly tall, slender guy, messy hair? No, he had a bike helmet on. He was going to Nice to bike. And he was going nice. to read it in between biking. So if you're Shout listening, out. guy who uh, oh. <laughs> came in on a bike. Just tell what you thought about the book. <laughs> um, would I recommend it? Is that mm-hmm. the question? That we're <laughs> what inferring? my eyes are trying to ask. Yes, visual cues on podcasts. Mm. Um, I think I don't need to. I think the people who want this book will find it themselves. Oh. I, th- I, th- I think like I'm... It's like the ring. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, th- I mean, yeah, I, th- I think like if I'm in a conversation where I, 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 it occurs to me, I would. But it's good, as Sarah says, it's particular mm. particular people. How about you, Gio? I recommended it to a guy who liked uh, Tolstoy today and he wanted more of that. So, I mean, I'm uh, not so specific. I don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> I judge. <laughs> yeah. But did you like the book? Because recommending it to somebody and then liking it is, I think, sometimes can I be like different things. I'm yeah. still not done with it. I don't know when I'm going to read it again. No. I look forward to reading it again and again. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I think mm. I'll just keep it on my shelf and just open it once in a while and read some sentences because I really found it am- amusing as a book. Mm-hmm. As a read. I'm good. all right so thanks for having listened to this podcast about a book that we didn't know what to do with Uh, (laughs) and what it is and what it talks about yeah next month we will be discussing Alexandra Clemens you too can have a body like mine make a suggestion I like the title a lot (laughs) (laughs) and we'll get back to you on that is it a fitness book (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. I hope so too. I I only know the title in the first two pages. It could really change. (laughs) 